These are the words of Colet, son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the river and flows out again to the sea. Everything is worrisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. These are probably some of the darkest scripture passages I've ever opened a sermon message with. But if we're being honest, I think we might be able to relate a little bit to this because we may have asked ourselves very similar questions or thought very similar thoughts as we've made our way through life. You know, in 2007, Tom Brady, who was the um, New England Patriots quarterback, set the record for the most touchdown passes in a regular NFL season, paving the way pretty much for his MVP award. And by the age of 30 years old, he had already received three Super Bowl championships to his name, arguably making him one of the best quarterbacks of his time. In 2005, he was actually interviewed by 60 Minutes to talk about all of his accomplishments, and he had something really fascinating to say. Watch this interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with, with great people. And I think I get more out of that than anything. It's amazing how frank Tom Brady could be about his own personal quest to find meaning and significance inside of his life. And once again, I think we relate to that because we've been in his shoes, not necessarily holding Super Bowl championships, but we understand where he's coming from because we have asked those same questions of ourselves. Questions like, what is the purpose of my life? What is the meaning for me being here? Does God even really care about me? Why is there so much anger and hatred in the world? Why does God allow so much injustice to happen? Is this really all that there is to this life? And these are hard questions that we continually ask ourselves again and again, no matter what stage of life you are, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are, everybody ultimately asks these same questions and they keep us awake and again and again at night. 
And so that's why over the next six to seven weeks, we're going to be studying in this brand new series called Never Enough. And we're actually going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes to see that you can build these massive castles that raise up to the sky, like the one behind me, or you can have treasure chests full of gold and riches, like the one here or the one we saw in the bumper video, but it ultimately, it's never enough. Even those things, fame, status, wealth, fortune, none of it brings us the meaning and the significance that we're truly looking for in our life, and it leaves us questioning. It leaves us hurting. It leaves us wandering aimlessly through this life. And they're difficult as we try to process these, and they're difficult as we try to go through these. And that's why we're going to the book of Ecclesiastes, because even though it started off in this very deep and dark note, there's some great wisdom to be found within its pages, within its writings. And as I was preparing this message, I started on my own quest to figure out some of my life's most personal and tugging at questions. And as your pastor, I just wanted to be upfront and be honest with all of you about some of the things that I struggle with the most. And it was way more difficult than I thought that it would be. A lot of introspection came into play as I was writing this. And to be honest, I got stumped a lot in trying to find wisdom to answer these questions. And some of the things I got stumped on were like, why is there a best before date on sour cream? Like, it's already sour. Hasn't that already expired? It doesn't make sense to me. Or things like, where do park rangers go when they want to get away from it all? I mean, we go to the wilderness, so they go and sit in traffic on the 91 to be around people? I, I don't get it. Or why do gas stations sell cigarettes when it's illegal to smoke there? That just seems like a really bad idea. Or if olive oil comes from olives, where does baby oil come from? This one really keeps me awake at night, and I struggle with that one. And then lastly, the one that probably hit me the most was, why do banks send us insufficient fund fees when they, they know and you know that you can't pay those either? I may never get the answer to these pivotal questions in my life. But when I do read through the book of Ecclesiastes, I do find some hope, and I do find some wisdom. And so my goal this morning is simply to be short, to be brief, and to give us an introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes, to talk about its authorship, to talk a little bit about why it was written, and a basic overview of what is inside of the book. Because if we're honest, Ecclesiastes is a dark book. It's hard to understand, and it's hard to teach, and it's hard to preach as well. And I know if you're looking at your bulletins, you may have saw the little graph at the bottom and said, man, we are in for something heavy today. Don't worry. Don't be overwhelmed by that. We're going to actually build that as we go through this series today, just to kind of help give you an overall roadmap of where we're going to be traveling in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's going to be a little bit of a different message this morning, a little bit darker than we're used to. So with that, I think it's important that we start by looking at a little bit of the background history of Ecclesiastes. Now, I, I love teaching. I love going deep into these things. So I'm inviting you to join me in this journey as we kind of build our knowledge of why Ecclesiastes is so dark and why it was written the way that it was. See, Ecclesiastes is considered part of the Old Testament's wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature consisted of four books in the Old Testament. Anybody know what they are? And they're probably up behind me somewhere. Yeah, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon. Man, you guys are good. Man, I didn't even have to preach today. This is great, right? It consists of these four books. And this wisdom literature was written specifically during a time of a multi-God pantheistic view of the world. And what that means is that people were living in the world thinking that the gods were just these vengeful, horrible people that were just bent on destroying all of their creation. 
They saw the God of the Old Testament and said, every time that we see him, we don't see love. We see death and destruction and famine and hardships and suffering. And it went across all religions, across all gods. It was the same thing. So they came up with this idea and said, the best that we can hope for in life then is to live a very short and painless life and then just return to the dirt in which we came from. That just sounds super exciting, doesn't it? No. And so wisdom literature was written to combat this, to get people to think outside of this mentality, to say, you know what, maybe, just maybe there's more to life than this view. Maybe, just maybe, there's something more that brings meaning and significance and a reason why we are here rather than just to float through life and return back to the dust. And that's the mentality that carries us through the book of Ecclesiastes. So that in mind and that kind of being said, understanding that that's really what this is all about, Ecclesiastes opens with this very important phrase, this very important passage. It says this, the words of Kolet, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now the word Kolet in the Hebrew is actually translated as one who gathers together. And in this case, it was to learn. So most of our Bibles translate this person as the teacher. It says the words of the teacher the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Now, the son of David's an interesting phrase because there's lots of different viewpoints on who the son of David actually could be. Most people think that it's King Solomon. That's mostly where it lies. Some people think it's some other unnamed king from the Davidic line, but doesn't really play anywhere else in scripture. Yet some other people believe that it's an Israelite who's writing in the name of Solomon, trying to get these accolades and the fame and status of his name. But regardless of which viewpoint you stand on or who you believe wrote this book, the key point to understand before we even touch the book of Ecclesiastes is this. The teacher is just a figure in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just a figure while the author is somebody entirely different who chooses to remain anonymous. So you have two different voices at play here. You have the teacher who speaks for most of the book of Ecclesiastes, and then the author who kind of introduces us to the teacher and then puts it all in a nice little package for us to understand at the very end. It would be like Pastor Sherry coming up at the very beginning before I spoke and said, hey, welcome to Canyon. Matt's going to be coming up here and he's going to teach you this really dark and depressing message from Ecclesiastes this morning. So make sure you pay attention. And then she leaves and I come up and I teach to you like I'm doing now. And after I'm done praying, Sherry comes back up and says, wasn't that just great and powerful? Here are the things that you really need to know. One, don't fall asleep. Two, be good. And three, life is depressing. So make sure that you go home with these things and just keep them close to your heart, okay? And goodbye, dismiss. That's the mentality that we see in Ecclesiastes, where the author's like, hey, this teacher's gonna come and teach you some really important stuff you need to know. And then the teacher speaks and then the author comes back at the very end and says that of all the things that the teacher just told you, these are the things that are the most important that you need to lay before you. And then you decide how you're going to interpret them. You decide what you're going to do with this wisdom. And that's the mentality that exists here. So what does the teacher actually tell us? Well, the teacher tells us right here at the beginning and right at the very end as well, the main basic purpose for this book. And he says this, Hevel, Hevel, everything is utterly Hevel. 
Now in the Hebrew, this word hevel, or I'm sorry, in the English, we've translated this word hevel as meaningless. And that's how most of our English Bibles say it, meaningless. But in the Hebrew, the word is actually vapor or smoke. It's like one of those things like, how did you get so far off of that definition? I don't understand. But that really is a better description of it because that's what's happening here. The teacher says that life is heaven. Life is like smoke, meaning it's temporary. It's fleeting. And like smoke, it appears to be this solid thing, mass, but when you go to reach for it, it just fades away. It's never fully within your grasp. And such is life. That we go all throughout life seeing the things that we want, seeing the things that we think are important to us, things that bring meaning and significance, and we go after them. But once we reach for them, it just seems like they fade away. Or you get there, and it's another step ahead of you, or another mountain to climb, or something else happens. Specifically, the teacher goes to this idea of life has these great things in store for you. And as you work your way through life and you finally get there, by the time that you're enjoying those moments, tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes all of us. Doesn't matter if you're a just person, a wise person, good or bad, tragedy befalls every single one of us because life is unfair. Because life is like vapor. Life is like smoke. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. It's fleeting. So it doesn't matter what we go after in life. It doesn't matter what we try to purpose towards or try to achieve. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be what we expect it to be because it's just going to fade away because life is hevel. Hevel, everything is utterly hevel. Now that's super depressing. When we hear that message, we immediately think, what's the point? If we know that all that we can hope for in this life is tragedy, we don't even get to enjoy the good things of life. Why? And so the author's basic goal, what the author is trying to get at here is to target all the ways in which we try to find meaning and significance in our life apart from God. And then he lets the teacher deconstruct it. The author says, look, we spend most of our life going after things like wealth and careers and status and fame and fortune and popularity, things that we think bring some kind of emotional, sentimental value to our lives that give us purpose, that give us meaning, but that's not really what it does. Then he lets the teacher give us this harsh reality that we are way, way off base that we're not even close to the true meaning of what life actually is. And it's this weird conundrum of, well, what do we actually go for? What are we actually doing as we search through all of this in life? What does it mean? Because life is just hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. And we see this in his very opening and his closing poems, because he comes down to some very important concepts, specifically revolving around two things. If you guys see, I'm slowly starting to fill in the graphs that you have on your thing. And we talked about the hevel, hevel up at the very top, which is the main basic theme. You've got the author who is pretty much contained inside the yellow box. You've got, or the teacher, you've got the author who's speaking at either ends, but right in between in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see these two major concepts, and this is what the whole entire book revolves around, time and death. Time and death. The teacher says, look, you can work, you can achieve, you can purpose, you can do whatever it is that you want to do in life, but you have to consider the march of time. That for all of human effort, for everything that we have ever done in our lives, nothing ever really changes. Specifically, he says, 
technology. We think that we have these great technological advances, right? But by the time we get our hands on them, you know what happens? It's already outdated and something new has already taken its place. So even technology is fleeting. It's temporary because you can never have the latest and greatest because we're on this quest to keep building new and better things as time goes on. And we see nations and civilizations rise and fall. We see leaders come into play and go out of the picture. Everything changes. And he says, if you were to go and stand on a mountain, would a hundred years from now, would that mountain ever knew that you were there? No. He says, the mountain will still be there. The sun will still rise. The sun will still set. The waves will still crash upon the shore. But a hundred years from now, you and all that you've ever done in your life won't even exist, won't even be remembered whatsoever because life is hevel. And he says, eventually time erases you, time erases me, and time erases everything that we think is significant and meaningful in our life because it's hevel. And that's super cheery, isn't it? <laughs> that's just a great message. And so we're going to close our series here today. Um, no. That's only one half of it. And if it can't get bad enough, the author takes a turn and says, time is one concept, but let me just kind of stick it to you a little bit harder. Let's talk about death. He says death is another concept we really need to focus on. And he talks about it for the rest of this chapter and pretty much through the rest of the book. And he says, look, the biggest thing for you to know is that death is considered the great equalizer because it renders every activity that we have ever done meaningless. It affects the wise. It affects the fool. It affects the rich. It affects the poor. It doesn't matter who you are, good or bad, what kind of a just person you are, what you've done in your life. Time and death affect us all because it's inevitable. It's inescapable. And so with these two concepts in hand, time and death, the author takes them and, and he kind of helps us understand what the teacher is really getting at here. And the teacher says, look, you can work you can achieve, you can do whatever you want in life that you think is going to bring you pleasure. Things such as wealth, such as a career, such as uh, pleasure, such as money, all these different things that we put in our face and social status as well. We try to gather all these things together, but every single one of them is meaningless. It's like vapor. It's like smoke. It's here one minute and then it's just gone the next. He says, look, you think career is going to be the way? You think career is really going to be what's going to bring you meaning and life and significance to your life? It's not. Think about the march of time. Think about climbing the corporate ladder. Think about all the stress, all the turmoil, all the late nights, all the arguments. Think about all these different things in which you had to go through just in order to succeed and get higher in your company. Was it worth it? the toil and the torment that you had to go through? Because by the time that you finally get to a high enough place in your company where you're actually truly starting to make some real wealth, which is ultimately the goal of a career, you're too old to spend it anyway. Especially the way that you wanted to spend it when you were younger. And so you think, well, maybe then I will will it to my kids. Maybe that's really what happens, but we don't even know if it's going to have the same significance or the same value when it comes time for them to use it. Or even more, if it will have the same significance or the same value to your kids, because maybe, just maybe, instead of them wanting to be the benefactors of some lump sum in your will after you're gone, they wanted to enjoy the time with you while you were alive. 
because that was worth more than anything else in this world. But we chose career over family. We chose to make that sacrifice to put our lives before spending quality time with the ones that we love the most because we felt that is truly what gave us purpose and meaning in life. And that's really what this centerpiece, if we go to the next slide, Tony, the centerpiece that we see here in our chart is this idea of the vapor or the smoke that exists. I think one more. The vapor or the smoke that exists, and it has our wealth and our status and all these different things. And that's what's in the very center of your box here. And that's where we see the career and we see it kind of play out off to the side. And we're going to kind of build this a little bit more. Um, so if you go one more, Tony, I'm sorry. At the very top, we have the career stats which we just talked about. But that is never enough. That's not what the point of life is all about. That's not the meaning of life. And so he says, well, if that's not enough, well, maybe it's the other end of the spectrum. And let's talk about pleasure. Maybe pleasure is the actual meaning and significance of life. Yeah, live for the weekend, YOLO, right? You only live once. Go out and party it up. Go out and drink. Go out and drive your dune buggies and race your speedboats and stay in your weekend homes and go on vacation after vacation after vacation. But the teacher says, you know what the reality is? Monday always comes. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're doing in life. The grind of normal life always is just around the corner. And so it can't be pleasure. If it's not career, if it's not pleasure, then it must not be these other things either, like status or, or wealth or any of these other riches. Because it's all hevel. Hevel, everything is hevel. So then what is the teacher advocating? If we were to truly look at it, what is he trying to say? Is he telling us all to become heathens and just give up on life because it's all pointless and meaningless and just do nothing with our lives? No, because that would be hevel too. That's meaningless as well. But it's really interesting what the teacher actually starts to advocate for. He advocates for the wisdom that's found in the writings of Proverbs, specifically the phrase, the fear of the Lord. He says, this is what life is all about. It's about a life full of fear of the Lord. And if you choose to live a life in fear of the Lord, it's going to have its real advantages. Because generally speaking, life for the most part, will probably go better for you if you fear the Lord. And I know some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, isn't that just hevel too? Because you said probably. There's no guarantee in there. And you're right. I can't give you that guarantee. Nobody can give you a guarantee that that's going to bring meaning or significance or value to our life. But that's the problem with our society. That's the problem with our world is that we want immediate gratification we want immediate satisfaction. We want immediate meaning, immediate purpose in our life. And we keep chasing thing after thing after thing after thing, thinking it's going to get us what we want, but it's always just out of reach. And if we keep living our life, as the teacher is telling us, continually reaching for these things, it's going to leave us depressed. It's going to lead us down a dark hole that it's going to be very difficult to get back out of. Because life is just hevel. Even wisdom itself can just be hevel. Meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. So what's the basic point then? What is the way forward in the midst of all of this hevel? And this is where we see a turning point in our dark message in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is where some light starts to shine in because it's here that the teacher discovers the key to truly enjoying life under the sun. And the key is simply this. It's accepting Hevel. It's acknowledging the fact that life, it's out of our control. 
that there's nothing that we can do to control our life. And over six different times and the bleakest moments of his monologue, the teacher talks about the gifts of God. And he says, look, if you want to know what the meaning of life is, here it is. It's the gift of God. What is the gift of God? It's enjoying the simple, good things of life. Things like family. Things like friends. Things like a good meal. Things like a sunny day. You can't control any one of these things. You're not guaranteed any of these things, but that's part of their beauty. That's part of where the beauty is because when we truly learn to let go, and this is the key point, when we truly learn to let go and surrender control over to God, it frees us to actually enjoy life as we experience it, not as we expect it to be. Because life as we expect it to be, that's hevel too, because we're setting ourselves up for failures. We want it to be one thing, but sometimes this world doesn't allow it to happen because to be honest, life is unfair. Good people die young. Horrible people last a long time. Life is unpredictable. Life is unstable. It's hevel. So if we learn to truly surrender, to let go, to give it to God, we begin to truly experience life as we were meant to experience it. And so as Ecclesiastes comes to a close, the author's voice steps back in and he kind of gives us some advice. He says, you know what the teacher just had to say is really impactful. It's really meaningful. And he likens it to this image of a shepherd with a really pointy end at the end of his stick, his staff. And he says that this pointy end would be used to prod and get the sheep to move in a certain direction wherever they wanted to go to put them on the right path says the teacher is prodding every single one of us. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts because this is a reality. This is a wake-up call, a self-check to say, what is it that I'm truly chasing after in this life? But it's for a reason. It's to open our eyes. It's to open our hearts to understand that there's more to life than what we expect it to be. But we need to let God have control in order for that to happen. And he also gives us this warning. He says, well, don't go too far the other spectrum and take liberties in this stance and just start putting your head in the books to try to find all of the world's problems and figure out all the answers to life's questions and, and all the hardships of life because that's just going to leave you miserable. That's just going to leave you searching for the rest of your life again and again and again and again. So what is the purpose of life? Here's a spoiler for the rest of this series. You ready? If you don't get anything else from this message, it is this. Fear God and keep his commands. This is the whole duty of humans. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. See, what gives life true purpose, what gives life true meaning is hope in the justice of God. Hope that one day God will remove this hevel from us, but that he wants us to enjoy life along the way, that he wants us to actually experience life rather than try to plan and map out every single moment. And so as we close this morning, the question is, what is it that you're chasing? Are you chasing after something that you think is bringing meaning and purpose to your life, like career or wealth or social status or pleasure? 
Are you so worried about controlling every aspect that you don't let God move? That's the wake-up call that Ecclesiastes gives us. This is the wisdom that's laid before us because what it really comes down to, this idea of to fear God and to keep his commandments. So if we do this, this is when we truly begin to enjoy life. And so I encourage you, I challenge you, I exhort you just to not leave this place today rushing out to go to lunch, rushing out to do your errands or to get from point A to point B, but to enjoy life. Tom Brady even said it. He said one of the things that he found value the most out of fame, out of riches, out of recognition was family and was friends. And we know as the teacher talks, it's part of the four things, family, friends, a good meal, and a sunny day. It's a sunny day. It's supposed to get to 81 today. Go hang out in the courtyard, invite a church member out to lunch, fellowship with one another, enjoy the moments of life because that's where community is built. That's where God moves. That's where amazing things happen. And you truly begin to enjoy life when it's not planned out, when it's not mapped out before you. Don't just be a person who is constantly chasing after the wind because your life too will become hevel. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that you just allow this series to be a wake-up call to us. God, that we would truly be able to have this introspection, this dark introspection in our life to understand that maybe our priorities are wrong. Maybe we've got it all backwards. Maybe we think life is meaningless and we're struggling to find our purpose. We're struggling to find where we fit in because we're taking control. God, I pray that you just let us right here, right now, surrender to you. God, that we would be committed as we walk through this door. Father, as we continue in this series to enjoy life as we experience it, to enjoy life as you have planned it to be, not as we have planned it to be. God, let us have that fear of displeasing you, the fear of going astray, the fear of not knowing what to do. God, we pray that you just soften our hearts to allow us to have those moments where we're not making the sacrifices for things that we think are worthy and meaningful in our life, but really neglecting the most important things that are the closest to us that our eyes would be open to see the hurt and the pain, the separation, the things that may be existing in our lives that we're trying just to push through to get to a place that we want to be. Father, we pray that you just allow us to surrender. With all eyes closed, if you're at a place right now where you're tired of chasing after the wind, you're tired of living a life of hevel, and you're really ready to take that next step today, to make that commitment, to surrender wholeheartedly, not just say you're going to surrender, but truthfully, when you walk out these doors, surrender and say, God, you are in control of my life. I just want you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. I see you. Father, we are just so grateful for the hands that have been raised. God, and I pray that you would just allow them to be faithful to their commitment to you. 
God, that their hearts would be changed, their minds would be renewed, Father, they would be a new creation in you, Father, as they leave these doors to give you the praise, to give you the glory, to give you the control in every aspect of their life. Because this world will never give us enough, but Father, you are more than enough for me. Pray this in your name.